My guest this week is best-selling author Alison Edgar. We talk about how to make sales engaging to drive business growth and how to build an entrepreneurial spirit at work. Welcome to episode 222 of the Marketing and Finance Podcast. This is the podcast for ideas and inspiration on marketing your business and growing your business and for discussing topics on all things finance. I'm Roger Edwards, a marketing guy and keynote speaker from Edinburgh. Talk to me if you want to cut the BS and the complexity from your marketing strategy. Hello and welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. I'd just like to thank you so much for downloading or streaming the show. Do you know, I really do appreciate you taking the time to plugging me and my guests into your earphones. This week, I've got an interview with a lady who's written a book about successful sales, which has absolutely gone stratospheric right onto the bestsellers lists across the entire world. It's a really fascinating interview, and we touch upon sales, as you would expect, but also entrepreneurial spirit in the workplace and what she describes as intrapreneurial spirit. So let's get straight into that interview with Alison right here on the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Alison Edgar, welcome to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. Great to have you on the show, Alison. Now, just for the listener's benefit, tell me, where are we Skyping each other from? I'm in Edinburgh, as always. Well, it's a bit like role reversal, isn't it? Because I should be in Edinburgh, being in mind I'm Scottish. But I'm actually in Wiltshire, so we've swapped places. Well, of course, I've actually lived in Edinburgh for 26 years. Obviously, from the accent, you can tell that I'm not from here originally, but I do feel like an honorary Scot. So I guess you feel like an honorary English person. Well, I'm the same because I've lived in Wiltshire for 23 years. Can you not tell by my accent? (laughs) (laughs) Alison, we're going to talk about intrapreneurial culture today, which is a fascinating and very topical topic. But before we get into that, please tell the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast a little bit about yourself, where you came from, how your career developed, and and basically what makes Alison Edgar tick. So my background um, is originally sales. Well, actually, that's not quite true. Before that, it was hospitality. So I work in Cape Town for Southern Suns, I worked in Radisson, uh, for Radisson in Australia. I worked in the Channel Islands. So I come from a strong hospitality background. And then when I returned to the UK, I ended up working for BT. So I was BT trained and then went on to work for other blue chip companies. So um, I wrote a book called Secrets of Successful Sales, which came out in 2018 and sort of went mad after it launched. It was um, a WH Smith's top 10 business book. It was an Amazon number one bestseller. And today, sort of 18 months plus after launch, it's got 115 five-star reviews on Amazon. So I'm known for sales, but one of the things which I took on board really was what the top salespeople did. Um, And I did the analysis and the research and what I discovered was actually what the top salespeople did is actually the same as other top performers in other industries. So I looked in, you know, deeper down, looked at all the research, and I came across a man called Gifford Pinoche III, who wrote a white paper on entrepreneurship 
1978. I mean, we think like entrepreneurship's a fairly new word. We think about The Apprentice, The Dragon's Den, but this stuff was done in 1978. So what I've done is I've taken the content that relates to sales and a little bit about um, the white paper study, tied it together and I've been working with some of the UK's largest companies, some actually some of the world's largest companies. So Thomas Cook, the Discovery Channel, Sky, Cooper Tires. So really just taking that and that's where it comes from, really. That's really interesting. And I'm fascinated by your book and, and congratulations. Those sales are incredibly impressive for a business book. So you must be really pleased about that. And and I guess maybe some people have negative perceptions in their head about sales, don't they? And, and in yeah. fact, I, I actually tell a story when I, when I do my conference speeches, and, and my conference speeches tend to be about marketing, but I do tell a story going way back to 1993 when my wife and I first moved up to Edinburgh. My wife invited a wine salesman into our house. She'd responded to a, an advert on the um, in, in the local paper. And I was initially horrified by this because I just had the image of a double glazing salesman pushing his way into the house and effectively hard sell, hard sell, hard sell. And of course, the, the punchline to the story is that this guy wasn't a high, high pressure salesman at all. And in fact, he became an extremely good friend over the over the course of about 20 years and probably sold us tons and tons and tons and millions of bottles of wine in that period. And I never, ever felt pressurised by him ever. And presumably the book that you've written puts a completely different perspective on that. Yeah, completely. I mean, it's really interesting. So there's a couple of things I want to pick up on there is a lot of people don't know the difference between sales and marketing, which I'll come back to. But um, the mission statement, and again, when you start your own company, after having worked for large organizations, you know, the mission statement, the vision statement, it's just two sentences that you have to learn because you get tested on it. Yeah. You don't, you know, feel that passion for it. So when I thought about setting up my own mission statement and vision statement, I, I didn't have really a clue where to start. And somebody said, well, strip it back. You know, what's your thoughts on sales? And I went, well, I genuinely believe when it's delivered correctly, sales and customer service is exactly the same thing. And that's the mission statement of everything I teach. So coming back to your friend who's the the wine salesman, you know, the reason that you never felt that you were being sold to was he asked you lots of questions about, you know, what the flavors you liked, what the areas you liked, what types of wine did you like? And he was just literally providing you with the type of wine that matched your requirements. And that's the same. That's a good sale. And so many people, the reason that people think sales is pushy, but so many people get it wrong because they've not been trained how to do it. Mm. It's not the gift of the gab. It's an art. You know, you don't get good at anything without actually really learning from an expert and practicing it every day. It's the same as a sport or anything. You know, you've got to do it properly. And that's the problem with sales. People think they can just wing it. Mm. And even though you've never heard my wine man story before, that was absolutely the case. He asked us questions, but also he encouraged us to ask him questions. And, yeah. and you know, one of the things I, I liked, I mean, I, one of my great big um, 
philosophies is simplicity. I love simplicity and I teach simplicity to people through this podcast and, and when I work with them. And he never he never tried to baffle us with all that wine jargon yeah. talking about it has notes of oak and uh, pastel shades of blue in the in the imagery and all of that. He just told us factually this tastes of yeah. blueberry or whatever it was. And and I guess that was it. It it just never felt like a high pressure sales. He learned so much about me as a customer. He knew exactly what I wanted. He would never, yeah. ever come around to the house with Chardonnay, for example. Um, <laughs> he would definitely come around to the house with Zinfandel and Cabernet Sauvignon because he knew yeah. me as a customer. And I think yeah. that one of the problems we have these days with sales and marketing is that the companies just don't know and they don't understand the customer's needs. And therefore, they just the only way they think they can sell is to fire out often badly targeted communications or they just wind people up with cold calling. Yeah. And that's why people have this perception that sales is just intrusive and, and annoying. It's because the companies don't understand the customer enough. No, definitely. And I, I think this is probably quite a good time to talk about my little analogy about sales and marketing. Yeah. So. I mean, the way that I describe it, and again, exactly as you say, I try and make everything as simple as possible so that people can understand. So um, in the book, I talk a lot about golf. So randomly, I used to play for the West of Scotland golf team when I was younger. Uh And I try and explain the, the way that marketing, so marketing will put the tee in the ground and put the ball in the tee. So they set it up, don't they? The mail shots, the um, the website, the social media, the, the email campaigns, the pens, the brochures. So again, they're kind of setting it up to raise the brand awareness. Then sales, we come and we take it down the fairway. We put it on the green and then we put the ball in the hole. So again, only when the ball goes in the hole do we make any money. And it's usually at this part Roger, you've got the marketing guru who puts their hand up and go, I disagree, Alison. <laughs> and what they say is, look, what happens is in marketing, we put the ball right up to the pin and you sales guys tap it in and take all the glory. <laughs> and I think that's where if you look, um, good marketing makes it easy for sales. Bad marketing is just spray and pray. And I think that's the problem that, you know, just having unsegmented databases and firing out random messages, especially like in a geographic, like I'm getting stuff from, like I'm a big deleter. Uh, Email marketing drives me mad because I like to have a clean inbox and I'm getting stuff from, you know, do you want to attend a network, breakfast network in Leeds? No, I don't. (laughs) I'm subscribed. It's not relevant. So, and I, I think the confusion, this is where the confusion comes is when it comes to things like Amazon and eBay, that's the holy grail, isn't it? Wouldn't we all just love to put up a website and people just jump on and buy our stuff? But that's a hole in one for marketing. That's not sales at all. And I think that's where loads of people, especially the kind of get rich quick mob, there's loads of people, oh my goodness, all you need to do, you need a funnel, you need a lead magnet, you need to do that. People just jump on and buy your programs. They don't, you know, and I think there's this holy grail that everybody wants the whole in one for marketing and it's not sales, you know, no matter what changes with AI, people ultimately buy people and they ultimately buy people who are like them. Absolutely. I love the tea and the ball analogy. And I guess, again, 
the marketer has to have sight of the customer. And if the customer is represented yeah. by the whole, by the flag, then bad marketing is when they decide to position the T behind a 100-foot concrete wall where you can't actually see the flag. And I think that's a lot of the time what happens. They don't know who the customer is. And, and if you don't know who the customer is, even with the best salespeople, you can't put the ball in the hole because you just can't see it. It's hard getting a hole in one from the bunker or the rough. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. <laughs> so so let, let's move on to this, this interesting topic of intrapreneurial. Now, I've I've heard that terminology before, and and some would argue that the uh, entrepreneurial uh, word is being used everywhere. So we've got entrepreneurial. Some people call it youpreneurs, mumpreneurs, intrapreneurs. Tell me what intrapreneurs means. So um, again, based this is not my research. We just um, had a little look. We were looking. We, we had created content, and it needed a topic. Um, and what I, I I did was I created it for a major. Um, high street retailer um, to work with their whole company on customer service and they didn't buy it but they didn't buy anything so I didn't feel so bad they also don't get a great review on which because their service isn't great so again that doesn't make me feel so bad either Um, but the content is around what would I do if it was my so it's what would I do if it was my first day so looking at the employee mindset so um, like so dipping into Carol Dweck's, have they got a growth mindset? Have they got a fixed mindset? Because when you start on your first day, you might be a little bit nervous, but you're eager, you're keen, you're positive, you're happy, you're upbeat, you're making an effort. We go into, you know, look at retail, for an example, or businesses. And if it's day 1001, people become complacent, they become negative, they, you know, they bitch about their colleagues. That's, so it's really to strip it back to the beginning of where the career starts in a company. So that's what would you do if it was your first day. The next thing is, what would you do if it was your granny? Now, you would appreciate this living in Scotland. So looking at the customer service, not only that you give your external customers, but the customer that you sit next to every day, because this is where if you're not building a, a relationship with your team, it's really hard to... Um, you know, stay focused and help the customers, the external customers. So again, looking at really strong, exceeding customer expectations. And then the last thread to that is, what would I do if it was my business? So under, I've got the brand, The Entrepreneur's Godmother. So I work with um, one of the apprentice winners, the Dragon's Den winners, you know, companies, a lot of young entrepreneurs who have taken you know, from nowhere to multi, multi, multi million pound turnover businesses. And what do they do differently? So obviously in entrepreneurs and startups, there's a really high failure rate. Yeah. So what I did was I stripped into the mindset of the really successful entrepreneurs and took the, the parts of what you can do as an employee. So for me as an employee, I always felt like I was running my own business. Um, but the difference between an entrepreneur and an entrepreneur is risk. If entrepreneurs don't sell or they don't function, they starve. They don't have any money. They literally starve. Whereas an employee, you're going to get paid at the end of the month. But what would you do differently if it was your business? You know, would you be more sustainable? Would you waste less? Would you be more productive? You know, would you be um, thoughtful around your mindset, your productivity? 
yeah, you would if you weren't getting paid at the end of the month. So that's where that comes into working with larger organisations like the Discovery Channel, Thomas Cook, Sky, around their productivity and culture change, really. So that's where the entrepreneurship fits in with the, the entrepreneurship. I've worked for a few companies in the past where they've said they they try to um, encourage an entrepreneurial spirit amongst their employees. And yet at the same time, they have all these controls and compliance sign-offs and regulations and, and HR scrutiny and auditing so that everybody feels utterly, utterly incapable of doing anything. How can, how can an entrepreneurial culture exist in such a bureaucratic environment? So two things. I think that it starts from mindset, from mm. growth mindset, because there's always um, in every organisation and every across the world, there's always the people who say, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do this. You can't do the next thing. And I think it's about there is always a way to do things differently. Mm. And it's getting, again, if you look at Mr. Bureaucratic or Mrs. Bureaucratic, it's changing their mindset as well. So it's really important that they all have got a growth mindset. And that's where, again, what would you do if it was your granny? If your granny wanted something or needed something or there was a better way to get your granny shopping, like online shopping, would you um, would you change with the times? Would you evolve? Yes, you would. And I think that's where if you if you weren't getting paid at the end of the month, would you be so bureaucratic? Probably not. But again, you know, we're talking about financial services here. <laughs> there is a lot of things. Part of the reason financial services are so highly regulated is mavericks. Mavericks, so many mavericks that we're getting away with a lot of stuff that they had to tighten the regulation. So I think there's there's regulations and on, uh, and entrepreneurship. But I do sometimes think the regulation almost becomes an excuse as opposed to protection mechanism, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I mean, it is that that it's more than my job's worth. And again, I think it's people thinking like it's their job rather than thinking it's my business. And what would you do if it was your business? And I think that's, again, it's keeping it under, under that the umbrella of the three things. First day, job and granny really helps to change that mindset and culture within organisations. One of the things, again, I mentioned the, the wine man story. Another of the stories that I speak about on stage from a marketing context is how complexity and maybe a lack of customer focus seeps into a business as it grows and becomes more successful. So I, I use the analogy of a startup company where you maybe have one or two employees, maybe if that, and, and potentially it could, the analogy there could be the same as your Dragon's Den um, apprentice winner example. You know, they have a vision, they know where they're going, they know what their product is, they know who the customer is, their marketing messages are quite simple, and then they start to make sales, they have to take on more employees employees. Over time, the company gets bigger. Perhaps a silo mentality starts to seep in and very slowly their marketing messages become more complicated. Maybe they launch a few more products, may diversify a little bit, and then they become super successful, maybe head towards being big corporates. And that's where all this bureaucracy starts to, to settle in. And, and we start writing marketing material by committee and everybody has a say and lots of people can say no and very few people can say yes. And all of a sudden, all of the things that made them successful when they were when they were smaller and when they were starting have effectively been killed by their success. Do you help people avoid that sort of um, progression? Yeah, it's really interesting you see this because um, 
what I see with a lot of startup companies and my, more so the micros really, startup to micro companies, that they get to about nine employees and it's all quite easy. It might be the mate or the mum or the <laughs> this or the that. And what they haven't done is really put the foundations in at the start. You know, they don't have a standard operating procedure. They don't um, have any policies in place. And it all becomes more difficult to grow because they haven't got the original foundations in there in the first place. And I think if they were to start off more structured, it would make life a lot easier for them when they grow. So they actually have to write down what the vision is, what the operating procedures are. And this is how we keep it simple, because if they don't write it down, then they'll employ some new people and they'll just make it up as they come in and go along. And that's when that's when the seeds of destruction are sowed. Well, that's the thing. A lot of the time, that that's when they employ the wrong people and the wrong roles doing the wrong thing. Whereas if they've got a clear vision on that from the start, I mean, the way that I describe it is like building a house. If you were going to get a plot of land and start building a house, you would not just put the bricks on top of the earth. You would dig down and put the foundations in and it would take you longer because you've got to then, you know, get the cement in. But that at the start of the journey is well worth it. Alison, to take it a little bit further, maybe you could talk me through an example of how you actually help one of these startups. What's the process that you take people through to push them onto their road to success? So the best place to start is, you know, and it is the oldies are the goodies, but on a SWOT analysis, because if you know, you know, what your strengths are, your weaknesses and your opportunities and threats, not only is it a great place to start, also by getting people to think, you know, you can't come up with the answers until you know what the questions are. And by really self-analyzing yourself as a person, as the leader, and also the business as as a company and, and where it is and where the pain points are. So starting off with your SWOT and then looking at where it, where is it you want to go. So 12 months, three months, five years, whatever it is, really looking at the plan of where you want to go. Because if you don't know where you want to go, you're never going to get there. So it's that combined. And then when you do look at your, you know, your W's, your weaknesses, it might be confidence. It might be that you don't have enough time. It might be you don't have enough structure. Then again, really starting to put in smart objectives. So, you know, the specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-framed. And, you know, these this is just the stuff, it's the oldies are the goodies, but people don't do that. They don't self-analyse. They don't take help and support at the start of the journey. But we know that businesses who take on specialist advice at the start of the journey will be more successful. And, and again, I'm not saying that to pitch me, but no matter who it is, you really want somebody that can guide you through that initial stage. And and I think having a business is one of the loneliest planets in the world. I mean, that's one of the things that there's a key message for any successful entrepreneurs. It's really lonely. Um, So having a really good support network in there is, is imperative as well. This is so true, Alison, and and it reflects my experience so much. Now, obviously, I focus on marketing and I get quite a lot of phone calls from people who will say things like, Roger, can you help us with our social media marketing or can you help us with doing some video marketing? And my answer to those questions is always, yes, I can. But first of all, let's talk about your strategy. And I actually have people slam the door in my face when I use the word strategy. I've even got to the stage now where I deliberately don't use the word strategy because it does frighten people. 
And and I guess sometimes mm-hmm. things like SWOT analysis, pest analysis, Boston grids, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, all of that stuff, it's got this sort of complex academic um, angle to it that really does put people off. But what you've just described yeah. there really is you need to have a strategy. You need to work out your strengths and weaknesses. You need to have goals, call them smart objectives if you want, but you need to have yeah. goals. And without that, you can't do any of the tactical stuff, which is what social media marketing and what video marketing is. And and it, and I, it, I am almost in despair sometimes when people just can't see that. And they say, no, 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 we just want to do Twitter. We want to do video. We want to do email, but they haven't got a strategy. And if they haven't got a strategy, it's going to fail. And then they'll say, well, Twitter doesn't work and email doesn't work. Well, it does, but you didn't have a strategy. You didn't have a goal. You didn't have a customer in mind. You didn't have a, a solution to a pain point, whatever it might be. You just wanted to dive into the communications. And that's exactly what you've described there. And as painful as you might think it's going to be, and I don't think it has to be, I think strategy can be easy. You've got to have that goal. You've got to have that You've got to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. But most importantly, you've got to have sight of that flag at the end of the fairway, which is your customer and which whatever the problem is that customer has, your product or service is the solution to their problem. And if you've got those things in place, then everything else should start to fall into place. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing that sort of links into that is, you know, marketing to me is a marathon. It's not a sprint. So again, if you've got... um, expectations that things are going to happen in five minutes I think that's unrealistic so um, we've Rebecca works for me and she looks after marketing and she's going through her digital marketing apprenticeship and you know sometimes it is frustrating like our phone doesn't ring very often we don't get many inbound inquiries everything we do we do outbound literally not cold calling but literally putting a, a strong sales strategy together to start conversations and, and one of the things um, that I, I think, again, Rebecca's quite young, she got quite frustrated and she said, oh, no, but the, oh, the phone doesn't ring. I said, have you been to any networking events with me recently? And she said, yes. And I said, well, of the percentage of the room, what percentage of the people in attendance knew who I was? And she said, oh, I don't know, maybe 80%. I said, and that's because... We have been doing creative, subliminal advertising and marketing around the brand. That's why people know who I am. That comes from our marketing. And just when they need me, so again, the way that I describe it is like DFS. So, um, you know, you see the adverts for DFS. It doesn't mean you just, you're going to rush out and nip out and get your interest-free credit out and buy a sofa. But when you do need a sofa, the name that will pop up will be DFS. And that's the same with me with sales training, people know who I am, they know what I do. And it's just the timing isn't always right. And I think people um, tend to switch strategies too quickly rather than sticking to the path and keeping the brand awareness going. Absolutely right. And I always use the example of this particular podcast that we're speaking on now. I think the, uh, the the official figure is that most podcasts last for seven or less episodes. And that's because after, after seven episodes, a lot of people say, well, this isn't working and they move on. When I launched this podcast, it was episode 33 before I could guarantee, I could actually honestly say that I got a direct piece of business as a result of the podcast. And I can't remember now, it was a, an article written for a newspaper and I got 250 quid as a result of it or something like that. And it was episode 89 before I got a substantial 
substantial five-figure piece of consultancy out of it. And that's not that the podcast was unsuccessful. It's just that's how long it takes to build an audience, to get people to know you and like you and trust you enough to actually start to want to do business with you. Not seven, not seven yeah. weeks, nearly a year and a half in, in a lot of cases. So yes, you're absolutely right. We've got to stick at it. And it's a long game, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. But I think it's it's worth it. I mean, we um, touch wood. We've had a great journey as far as PR goes. I've, you know, I've been on LBC. I've been on BBC One Breakfast TV. Um, I've been featured in the Sunday Times. And it's all these kind of things that, you know, does it, does it put money in the bank straight away? No, it doesn't. But does it raise your profile? Does it raise your brand awareness? And does it mean when somebody's looking for a speaker for an event on entrepreneurship, motivation, sales, you know, I'm the name that will pop to mind. And that's exactly what you would expect your marketing to do. Absolutely. Alison, as we draw this great conversation towards the end, maybe give me one major thing that you'd like the listeners of the Marketing and Finance podcast to take away from the experience you've had so far building your business and working with entrepreneurs and intrapreneurs. Um, I mean, for me, um, I think one of the things that's been really successful is networking. And I don't mean, you know, going to the Friday morning at 7.30 type of event. I mean, for me, I work a lot nationally and internationally. So again, comes back to what your plan is for your business, your marketing plan. Where do you want to be in 12 months, 24 months, 36 months? I want to be kind of taking over the world in my space. So... (laughs) I can't take over the world from my uh, back bedroom, if that makes sense. So I've got to get myself out there. So, you know, Touchwood, we work closely with um, IDEA, which is the Duke of York's. Um, I'm an ambassador for the Duke of York Awards, IDEA. So it's a bit like the Duke of Edinburgh, but it's for digital. Um, and I think I speak at events and when people hear me speak, it really inspires them to speak at other events. And you know, I'm working one of the bureaus and the line they use is the more you speak, the more you speak. So again, that's not, so, well, I say that you can do that on a podcast from anywhere in the world in any back bedroom anywhere. Yeah. But again, for me, people buy me face to face. So to, I think the takeaways for people is it's not easy to run your own business. It's Some people make it sound really easy, but anybody that does that is probably trying to get you money out of you to be your business coach and then teach you how to charge other people for lots of money. So um, it's not easy. I think, again, have a good support network, always be learning, try and get a good work-life balance because it's very easy when it's your own business to just literally be working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Take advice from experts in the parts that you're not. So if it's finance, take advice from, you know, somebody in marketing, somebody in sales. If you're not in sales, take advice from somebody in in finance. You know, nobody knows everything. So I think it's just um, continue to learn the bits from other people. Fantastic. And just before we go, here's a couple of more lighthearted, fun marketing questions for you. First one, give me an example of a marketing campaign or a product that's caught your attention for being beautifully simple. Tell us what it was and what you liked about it. Well, I've got a new favourite marketing campaign and it's um, the new Cadbury one for dark milk. So they've, again, Cadbury are the geniuses of all this sort of stuff, haven't they? I mean, they diversify their product range. I love the fact that they take a flake, put it in a wee bit of chocolate, call it a twirl, and they've got a whole new range out there. But the marketing campaign for the new um, 
dark milk is done by Jason Donovan from the 80s um, fashion, uh, you know, Neighbours or whatever it is. And he takes the mickey out of Neighbours and he talks about, you know, growing up and changes and things. And I think it's a really good way that obviously Cadbury Dairy Milk is evolving into a different flavour with the dark chocolate, which is perceived to be the grown-up chocolate. And that's the way they're marketing the brand is that chocolates that are grown up. And um, I think it's very memorable. I really like it. And I like Cadbury's. I love the marketing they do anyway. So I think that's, I must say that I do in my book, Secrets of Successful Sales, compare myself to a Cadbury Dairy Milk bar. So for anyone <laughs> about the Cadbury Dairy Milk bar in comparison to me, it's in the book. And at the other end of the scale, give us an example of marketing madness, something stupidly complex or needlessly bloated. Oh, I hate to say this because I'm actually a friend of the guy who is in the advert. Um, I am so sorry, Wynne Edmonds. I do love you, but the adverts for Go Compare drive me bananas to the extent that it really annoys me. But it's good marketing, isn't it, really? Because you remember it for the negative connotations. And um, every time I hear Wynne, we speak at quite a lot of events together, and every time he says something, he has to obviously thank them very much because it made his career. <laughs> but um, I'm not a fan, bless, of the Go Compare adverts. <laughs> That's fantastic, Alison. And I'm hoping that people listening to the show will want to get in touch with you. So tell me, what's the best way that people should connect with you? Um, how can they get a hold of me? The book, Secrets of Successful Sales, is on Audible, Amazon. Um, the website is www.alisonedgar.com or salescoachingsolutions.co.uk and on all social media I'm at the Alison Edgar I'm big on LinkedIn I spend a lot of time on there and I do my best to reply to everybody's messages personally Alison thank you so much for coming on to the Marketing and Finance podcast it's been absolutely fascinating to talk to you this afternoon really enjoyed it we've got a lot of areas where I think we share the same outlook the same philosophy and the same views so thanks for coming on the show again let me wish you every success for the future and if our paths ever cross from England to Scotland hopefully we can stop off and have a a coffee and a piece of Cadbury's chocolate together that would be amazing Roger thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute pleasure Thanks for listening to the Marketing and Finance Podcast. Do please look at the show notes at rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash MAF for links to the apps and topics and books we discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. Simply visit rogeredwards.co.uk forward slash iTunes and leave a review. I'll catch you on the next episode. In the meantime, keep marketing your business to keep growing your business.